In a hundred or so episodes of the Twilight Zone podcast, you will have heard me say the names Martin Grams Jr. and Mark Zickery more times than I can probably count. Their books Unlocking the Door to a Television Classic and The Twilight Zone Companion are pretty much the standard by which any other Twilight Zone book is judged. Now there are other books obviously that come at the Twilight Zone from slightly different angles. We have Stuart Stanyard's book which I really like and that was purely interviews and essays. There's Douglas Brody's book Rod Sailing in the Twilight Zone which was released on the 50th anniversary and that's a look at each episode, what it means, a kind of existential look at the show and there are several more all coming at it in different ways but those two books The Twilight Zone Companion and Unlocking the Door to a television classic are pretty much what I use for any trivia in The Twilight Zone podcast so I think it's a valid question when a new Twilight Zone book is coming out to ask well what does it bring to the discussion what's different about this one what's new and can any other book really sit alongside those two as a bedrock for all Twilight Zone knowledge. Well, tonight I'm speaking to the author of a book which I think may just do that. It's called The Twilight Zone Encyclopedia and it's written by Stephen J. Rubin. Now I'm going to put links in the show notes to the Amazon pages for the book so you can go and check it out and hopefully buy a copy. I haven't actually got the book myself. Here in the UK, it's being released on the 1st of November, but I've seen people in the US putting on Facebook, putting in tweets that they're starting to receive it now. So I think in the US, you might be able to get hold of it right away, but I will put an Amazon link there too. I was lucky enough to speak to Steve and he was a really lovely man, very generous with his time. What I really wanted to know was the answer to that question. What's different about this book? And Steve was only too happy to answer. So let's have a listen to that interview now, and I will see you on the other side. Hey, how are you? I'm okay, man. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. It's nice to meet you. You too. You too. Thanks for talking to me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. You know, it's it's funny that you wrote the new Twilight Zone book because years ago I used to pour over the James Bond encyclopedia every day. <laughs> you, you know, I because uh, I, I was a huge Bond fan, and it's so detailed, isn't it? That I I just used to spend hours and hours with that thing, and it's just funny how things sort of come full circle, you know. Well, you'll be happy to know that this same publisher on it has on its desk right now a proposal to do a new edition. Oh wow, really? Yeah, and I think this time I've got to come back. Well, you know, the last edition I was very disappointed in McGraw Hill because they didn't allow me to realphabetize, so I, they stuck the Pierce Brosnan material in the back of the book, which was mm. kind of tacky. And the book didn't sell well for good reason. But mm -hmm. this gives me an opportunity to not only do a, a new edition, but to totally re-illustrate the book and find new photographs. And I'm going to come to England 
probably early next year and spend a couple of weeks searching for photos. Oh, wow, really? Excellent, excellent. Um, I guess then, to begin, before we talk about the book, for anyone who maybe hasn't read your work before or, or seen any of your stuff on screen, could you maybe just give us a bit of background about you? Sure. I graduated from UCLA with a degree in history, and I was mm -hmm. contemplating becoming a TV newsman, but I found it kind of off-putting, the idea of st sticking microphones in people's faces and... <laughs> I really enjoyed writing. I was a staff writer on my college newspaper, so I got to used to seeing my name in print. Mm -hmm. And uh, they always say, write about something you love. And at that point, I was really interested in films about World War II. Yeah. So my first book, uh, I started just interviewing people who had not done interviews before on, on historical subjects. It's funny because this is long before, this is in the 70s, so there was no DVDs. There were no, um, obviously there was no internet. So mm -hmm. I literally picked up the Beverly Hills phone directory and, and pointed at a person who wrote a World War II movie and got him on the telephone. And that happened to be Michael Blankford, who was a blacklisted screenwriter from the 1950s oh, wow. who wrote a movie called Howls of Montezuma. And then he introduced me to Edmund North, who wrote Patton. He introduced me to Robert Pyrosh, who wrote Battleground and created Combat. And then I, I, I've met a lot of people. And incidentally, about the same time I started writing for Cine Fantastique magazine in Chicago, mm -hmm. specializing on films of the 50s, Edmund North, who had written Patton, had also written The Day the Earth Stood Still. So Fred Clark, the editor of Cine Fantastique, asked me to do an article. I had already done a piece on the movie Them about the giant ants in the New Mexico desert. Mm -hmm. So I became their 50s specialist. I did uh, major retrospective articles on Forbidden Planet, on War of the Worlds. And I was getting a lot of feedback. People really enjoyed the fact that I did original research. I found the people who and interviewed them and found facts and photographs that people hadn't seen before. So it was very encouraging to me. I made absolutely no money doing this. So, <laughs> so basically what I was, what I was doing was uh, kind of, in a, in a sense, kind of an avocation um, to actually make money in show business. I became a feature film publicist. Okay. I actually worked on films starting in the early 80s. And over my career, I worked on probably over 150 films and television shows. I, I, did, I was the original publicist on films like Pretty in Pink and mm. Porky's 2, Weekend at Bernie's 2, Honey, um, I, I Blew Up the Baby, uh, <laughs> Space Hunter Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, films like that. And then I went to work for Showtime for about 10 years and did a lot of their original movies. Mm -hmm. And now I'm actually producing movies on my own. I've actually produced four. Oh, wow. So I'm an active film producer and a writer. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about it at the end of the interview, but I have a film right now I'm prepping. I'm hoping to get it financed this year about Star Wars fans. Oh, Basically wow. the whole concept of line sitting. And it's, about, it's actually about a movie about people standing in line to see Star Wars. And mm -hmm. it's all the craziness of that. But then, uh, then in terms of the writing side, I always kept a hand in writing books. Obviously, you know about my James Bond books, which did very well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, good profile. And then I was actually developing a movie on the life of Rod Serling with a very prominent LA real estate developer who had an idea on how to tell the Rod Serling story. And we gathered a lot of research. The movie hasn't gone yet. We're hopeful. But in the meantime, I'm sitting on this mountain of research. I'm saying to myself, God, I wish I could do something. And producers 
it's a very difficult job because mm. you can spend literally years developing a property and at the end of the day you have nothing to show for it. Mm -hmm. So I said to myself, I gotta get back into writing, you know, writing historical pieces. At this time I, I got in touch with Cinema Retro magazine. I think you may be familiar with them. They're published out of England. Yeah, yeah. And I started writing retrospective articles and then it seemed like a, a good idea to do the Twilight Zone encyclopedia. I mean, mm. there are some good books out there on the Twilight Zone. Don't get me wrong. Uh, Marcus Acree's book, The Twilight Zone Companion, has always been a, one of my favorite books. It's very dog-eared. Yeah. Uh, the Martin Graham's book on the Twilight Zone is enormous. Of course. But I thought, considering I had some success with the encyclopedia on James Bond, I thought maybe I could take the Twilight Zone encyclopedia idea mm. and make it something. Because one thing the other books didn't do at all was get into the backgrounds of the people. You know, obviously they did some background on Serling and Matheson and George Clayton Johnson. Mm -hmm. But this, this book is really devoted to everybody. Now, it was a, lar a lot, lot bigger book when I started. I actually wrote 920 pages. I had not only bios on literally everybody on the show, actors, directors, writers, uh -huh. but I had bios on every character on the uh -huh. show. And I showed it around to publishing houses, and they were a little kind of overwhelmed by it. You know, the idea of, of publishing this size of book in this book market was a little off-putting. Mm -hmm. So, so I, uh, I sold the book to Chicago Review Press, and they had me cut it back quite a bit. I got rid of all the character bios. You know, you learn about the characters within the plot synopses within the book, because I have a, I have a, I have a, what I call a setup for every episode. I did okay. something that the other authors didn't do. I decided not to uh, have a full synopsis because mm. I felt that a lot of people have not seen all the episodes, and I didn't want well, I, I wanted, didn't want to fill the book full of spoilers. So I have something called a setup where I give you kind of the setup of the story, but I'll let you watch the episode to fill it in. Okay. Meanwhile, I've, I I cram the book with as many behind the scenes. Uh, bits of information I could find. And I found some really interesting facts, particularly by interviewing all the living people I could find who worked mm -hmm. on the zone. And there's a tremendous archive at the, um, uh, at the Television Academy in Hollywood of interviews with people who've passed. And then I found interviews that Mark Sacree had done, mm -hmm. uh, some of the authors had done, and I quote from them, and obviously I footnote everything. That's another thing I do in my book. I'm, I'm a strict historian, so I I footnote everything that I use. If I'm using one of Mark Zucre's quotes, I'm going to give him credit for it because he did brilliant work. And of course, he he was there writing his book in the late 70s when a lot of these people were still around. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. The other thing I added to the book, which I thought was kind of cool, is I found the last interview that Rod Serling ever gave. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, a journalist named Linda Bravel in L.A. interviewed him about two months before he died. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of an inside look. It's not really pertaining to the zone per se. It's really about Rod's writing mythology and what he was interested in and his view about the world. And it's a great little insight. So I feel like Rod Serling is in my book. You know, he's actually there. Of course, Carol Serling is a good is a good friend of mine, so I'm very uh -huh. fa from the family, and they gave me great cooperation. Good, good. So just to just to give us an idea of of what we're going to get when we open this up, what's the layout like? It's an alphabetical encyclopedia. It if is. you want to get to 
Um, if you want to get to time enough at last with Burgess Meredith, you got to go to T. I see. I'm, I, I'm a strict believer in accessibility. So I mm -hmm. believe that the encyclopedia format is the best way to go. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, the other authors have done it differently. Um, I, I thought it was kind of fun. So like I have the book right here. So I, um, I go right to M for Miles Vera. So we do a biographical sketch on Vera Miles. Mm -hmm. And then we go to Robert Ellis Miller, who was one of the directors, James Milholland, the character actor, Martin Milner, Nico Minardos. I mean, it's all A to Z, meaning that if you really want to look things up. And by the way, I, you know, I, I don't believe that encyclopedias should be read cover to cover. That's not mm. the way they're designed. I don't expect somebody to read every page right away. It's kind of a, a, a dive in and dive out book. Now, it's you can read it that way. Um, yeah. I think I, I'm as much a fan as anybody. So I was very intent on trying to find information that you didn't get elsewhere. Biographical stuff you can find on the Internet. If you want to mm. know Vera Miles credits, just go to IMDb. Uh -huh. So I was, you know, I, I kind of wanted to dig down a little deeper and, and, and reviewing a lot of her early work. This applies to all the actors. I found points where they worked with other Twilight Zone veterans. Right. You know, the, the acting on the Twilight Zone is a 10 out of 10. So you got people who were very comfortable with each other. And a lot of these people had worked together before in live television. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was it was a, an excellent acting team on every level. And, uh, you know, again, I, I've seen a lot of these actors in other projects. So I mentioned that in their biographical schedules. I'm particularly um, aware of some of Vera's other work. And I mentioned it in bio sketches. You mentioned that you, you've actually interviewed the surviving Twilight Zone actors, which I just can't wait to read those. Could you tell us maybe a few of those names? Sure. One of the people I, I went to Las Vegas, <laughs> I found Chuck Hicks. Now, Chuck Hicks played the robot boxer who fights Lee Marvin in Steel. No way. And he's a, <laughs> he's a big character. I mean, he, <laughs> um, he, he answers the door and he's wearing a Trump T-shirt. <laughs> <So, laughs> and it, it was very funny. And his wife was wearing a, um, never mind what his wife was wearing. He was, she was wearing a t-shirt that said Hillary for, uh, for jail. So they were very conservative people. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not conservative. I'm pretty much a liberal. Mm -hmm. So it was funny, but he told me great stories about, you know, playing that. He, he actually is in two episodes. I think he plays one of the movers who's moving uh, the grandfather clock in uh, 90 years without slumbering the Edwin episode. Mm. So he was great. He talked about fighting, you know, he, he was, he, he, his background is interesting. In fact, some people might think I kind of extended his bio a little long considering he's in like, you know, a small little part, but that's another thing about my book. I really wanted to give you little facts about things maybe you didn't know. Mm -hmm. You know, we've all, we all, we, we've read 12,000 interviews with William Shatner. We kind of know certain things, although I have a good uh, interview with him from the TV Academy. So I, I have good material there, but the little people aren't interviewed very much. I mean, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I post every day on Facebook and yeah, LinkedIn yeah. this day in Twilight Zone history. Mm -hmm. Today, I, I posted it. Today is um, October 12th. So today I, I did a tribute to Josephine Hutchinson. Mm -hmm. Now, people may not know who Josephine Hutchinson, she plays the grandma robot in I sing the body electric, the Ray Bradbury episode. Okay. But there's some interesting things about Josephine, you know, her background. And 
Um, I think that as, as an historian writing about the Twilight Zone, my job is to give you something perhaps you didn't know before. Cool. So when you come away from the book, you, you, you feel like you're not reading the Mark Zakree book again. And we don't um, cross over also because I'm not a critic. I do not offer critical evaluations of any of the episodes. Um, I really felt that was not my responsibility. I'm an historian. So my job is to acquaint you with things that maybe you don't know about the zone. Well, that, that was going to be one of my questions, really. Um, now, it's been a while since I read the James Bond book. I did read it for years, but was there some element of reviews in that book? Or yes. am I just thinking? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> no, uh, I, I did veer away from my James Bond encyclopedia mm-hmm. thing where I did give you a critique of each of the episodes. Mm-hmm. I guess part of the reason I didn't want to do a critique is that um, Zakri had already done that. You know, in yeah. fact, I would say most of Mark Zakri's book is devoted to, you know, being critical of the episodes. And, um, you know, and I, I just didn't feel that was my province. I'm not a film critic. I'm not a TV critic. Mm-hmm. I'm really more an historian. But as a fan, because I know you were born back in the 50s, were you a first generation Twilight Zone watcher? Did you watch it as a kid? Not really, but I, I remember watching... At least one episode. I, you know, the, the movie, uh, the movie, the series debuted. I had just turned eight, mm. so I'm just starting my. You know, I'm starting to get into heavy TV watching. I just the previous year I started to go to heavy movie watching. Mm-hmm. So I remembered walking into the living room. My parents had the TV on, and I'm watching this weird episode about a guy who can't stop talking. And a guy bets him, they're in a private club, and a guy bets him $500,000 if he can shut up for a year. And they put him in that little glass room in the basement, and he can't talk for a year. And I thought that was really creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Being a very talkative eight-year-old, the concept of not being able to talk for a whole year was just frightening to me. So I really remember, and that, that, that movie, which I believe is called Silence, that, that, uh, that, uh, that episode stuck in my mind. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. I think that um, I probably watched more episodes, but um, the show, you know, I was eight years old. The show came on late, you know, it was not a, uh, in fact, let me just uh, curious about that. Um, uh, let's see. Because I actually have an entry in my book called Competition, where I tell you what was running opposite the Twilight Zone. So, for instance, in season one, Mm. the show debuted at 10 o'clock at night. So that was way past my bedtime. And so uh, the, uh, the, I don't know what happened. I must have had a bad night's sleep to wander into my parents' living room to see uh, the silence. But um, uh, I think, let's see, it went to 9 o'clock in season 4 and 9.30 in season 5. So I probably maybe watched a little bit more of it. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, I was older then. Yeah. But I was, I was a first-generation fan, uh, you know, viewer, but not a fan yet. Yeah. You know what I love? People aren't going to see this because this will go out as a podcast, but I love the fact that you, you kind of looked up because you couldn't remember a certain fact, so you opened your own book to find out what that fact was. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really you get know, much better than I, that. I'm, I'm getting a little older now, so it, it takes me a second. I, I my, my head is filled, crammed full of so many facts, Tom. <laughs> I, I, you know, it, it's funny because they say 
they. I would like to know who they are, by the way. Hmm. They say that the best way to prevent senility is to really keep your mind and active, you know, mm -hmm. constantly. I say to play card games, etc. I know the dialogue from so many movies and television things that I, 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 they're all spinning around in my head. I may not know in the morning whether I put the conditioner on my head when I, after I shampooed, but I can, <laughs> you, I can read you chapter and verse dialogue from a movie made 50 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think we remember the things we love best, don't we? You know what I mean? Yes. How, how long have you been immersed in this now? Because you just held that book up and it, it's such a thick volume. How long have you been working on it now? Three years. Oh, yeah, three years. I, I, <laughs> I said earlier that as a film producer, you have these long waiting periods where nothing's happening and you got to mm -hmm. do something. So I took this project on kind of partially like a person takes on a very large quilt to knit, except my quilt was the size of Nebraska. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, I, I bit off a big thing. Now, when I did the James Bond encyclopedia, I think when I started, there were 20 Bond movies. Mm. So I had to watch every, tw every Bond movie very specifically to glean all the facts from it. There are 156 episodes of The Twilight Zone, and I wanted to be completely accurate about everything on every episode. So just mm -hmm. watching all 156 took months because I was very specific about what I needed. And then tracking down all the people... Uh, who were living was another big, big, long chunk of time. And then, of course, photographs. You know, the one thing that I think my book has that some of the other books don't have is I have some really good, really good photographs, many of which haven't been seen. I also got, got some nice co co cooperation from Stuart Stanyard, mm -hmm. who did the book. He had a collection of all of the photos from the series taken by the still photographers, which is actually a kind of a cool book. Yeah, so he let yeah. me use some of those. And then I went to some of the actual people who I interviewed, and they gave me some of their photos. I ha obviously haven't got the book yet. I've got it on pre-order, so I'm looking forward to getting it. But on the back, you have some uh, really great comments from some really big names. Can you tell us about who who's gave these comments for anyone who doesn't know? Oh, sure, sure. Well, um, I'd heard that J.J. Abrams was a big Twilight Zone fan. Now, that's mm. a great understatement. J.J. Abrams may be the biggest Twilight Zone fan in the world. In fact, he wrote an episode of Felicity. Uh -huh. Felicity, you know, the, 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 the series about that te uh, teen girl. And it's, all, it's a Twilight Zone episode. He actually designed it that way. It was shot in black and white. So I went to a party for my daughter's school. And it turned out my daughter and his daughter were in the same school. So I'm at this party. I'm looking across the way. And there's J.J. Abrams standing next to Kathleen Kennedy, wow. you know, the producer of Lucasfilm. Yeah. So I, I stalked him like a cat. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for a moment to, to, to be able to chat with this guy. And he's locked into this conversation. I'm, I, you know, I know he's going to leave right afterwards. So it was like a movie. I was kind of trying to wait for my moment. And finally, he breaks away from Kathleen. And I walk up to him and I introduce myself. And he was so friendly. He couldn't mm -hmm. have been friendly. I wrote the encyclopedia. And he was so excited about that. And he ended up giving me a quote, and I, I it was just great. Can I can I read the quote? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, the quote is from J.J. Um, Abrams: uh, "An incredible treasure trove of details and crucial information you never knew you needed. 
The Twilight Zone Encyclopedia is lovingly researched, written, and presented. This book is a true gift to all fans of what is arguably the greatest series to ever grace the airwaves. So I was so pleased about that. And, you know, I'm a big JJ fan. And so so that was that was cool. And then I also uh, got a nice quote from Leonard Malton, the film critic. And uh, he gave me a nice quote. I got a nice quote from Carol Serling. Let me read the Carol Serling quote. I hope I'm not tooting my horn too much here. No, um, no. <laughs> this, this is from Carol Serling, who's a good friend. This monumental book is required reading for all devotees of the Twilight Zone. It's a combination Bible, guidebook, dictionary, and encyclopedia, and should be on the library shelf of all fans and scholars. So I was just thrilled to get that kind of work. And you know, uh, would I have liked to have a 900-page book out there? Yeah, sure. But I think when you publish a book, you want a book, not a barbell. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> so basically, I think it turned out right. Also, th th this edition fits on shelves a little bit easier, so I'm, I'm happy with it. Now, you mentioned something right at the beginning that I, I wasn't aware of, that you, you're actually involved in the, the potential Rod Sailing biopic. Can you tell us anything about that? Well, um, I'm very friendly with a producer, writer, real estate developer in LA named Andrew Myron. And Andrew's a very smart guy. He's had a real excited uh, motivation for doing a Twilight Zone biopic for quite a few years. Uh, people don't know this, but when I was at Showtime, I spent 10 years at Showtime, I developed a Rod Serling biopic uh, with a couple of wonderful writers named Ron McGid and Paul Clemens. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the movie didn't go. I went into turnaround, but Andrew picked up the ball and has been trying for about five or six years to get interest in a Twilight Zone biopic. And I think there's a shot. It's a possibility it's very difficult in Hollywood right now. You know, it's yeah. very difficult to get dramatic stories made. If you notice, you know, movies about, um, you know, like there was recently a movie done on J.D. Salinger's life. There, uh, there was a movie done about the guy who broke the the, the German naval code, uh, Theory of Everything. Mm -hmm. uh, all these, these biopics are usually done as little independent movies. It's mm -hmm. very hard to get mainstream Hollywood interested in those kind of things. And it may become a television miniseries. We're not sure. I mean, there's possibilities. Um, it's such a good story, by the way, because Rod Serling had an interesting life. Mm -hmm. I mean, he was a very damaged World War II veteran when he came out of the war. People don't realize that he was a paratrooper. He fought in the Philippines and saw horrible things. Yeah. I mean, his best friend was standing right near him during an airdrop where their supplies are coming to him, and a crate fell on him and killed him mm -hmm. right in front of Rod's eyes. I mean, Rod was almost shot and killed several times as a paratrooper. A lot of this translated into what they call post-traumatic stress disorder. So he suffered from that, and I think he was in Chicago receiving therapy, and they recommended that he find something to distract him from his memories and um writing was what they recommended you, i mean you're good friends with carol obviously is she supportive of this happening is she is she okay with it absolutely i couldn't have written it without her i mean she gave me access she gave me my first 150 photos Wow. So I was really grateful to that. And then she gave me access to the scrapbooks. You know, she has a big collection of scrapbooks about Rod. And uh, I also um, had a look at the contracts. One of the things my book offers is the actual salaries 
yeah. that people made in those days. It's kind of it's kind of interesting to see what people actually made for these iconic roles that will be with us forever. <laughs> and you know the top set the top salary for an actor on a Twilight Zone episode in that in those days was five thousand dollars, which just doesn't seem like very much. But I guess in 1959 that was a goodly sum. Definitely okay. Well. I, I ask this question of, of everyone that I interview, Steve, because I'm always interested in the answer, but I'm especially interested when it's from a creative person like you who's in the business uh, and knows how the business works. Now, we're always hearing about Twilight Zone reboots, you know, new TV series, new movies, but Rod Serling was, was such a huge part of the original show. Knowing what you know about the business and, and how things work, do you feel that we will ever get a new Twilight Zone that's going to be successful, is going to capture the magic of the original? Is it possible or should we just leave it as it is? Well, I believe it's produced in England, this Black Mirror series. Uh, are you familiar with Black Mirror? Yeah, yeah. Black Mirror has become very popular in the States and I think is quite extraordinary. I haven't seen all of the episodes, but the ones that I've seen are quite amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's an interest. It is an inter- interesting question, Tom. I'll th- the first thing I will say is that I think that part of the reason that the reboots have not worked as well, not at all. I mean, they're very unmemorable and I chose not to include them in this book. I, mm-hmm. my book is totally devoted to the, the original black and whites. And that's, that, that to me is a big part of it. I think the original episodes shot in black and white added immeasurably to their success. Mm. You show those same movies and actually those same shows in color today. I don't think it has the same kind of impact. It's kind of like taking a a movie like Citizen Kane and colorizing it and expecting it to have the same impact. I think there's a otherworldliness about shooting in black and white and projecting in black and white that adds to the mystery of the show. Uh And considering I doubt if anybody will finance a TV series in black and white anymore, I think you can't recreate that. Now, the other thing, of course, as you point out, is you don't have Rod Serling. Mm -hmm. Rod Serling, at this time in history, when he started this show, had reached kind of the zenith of his his acumen as a writer. He really knew what he was doing. He had written literally scores of television programs for live TV, Mm -hmm. and he knew how to capture an audience. And this is another thing I discovered in watching all the episodes over and over again, is that he wrote at a time when dialogue was the key. If you really watch these episodes, there's a lot of talking going on, Mm -hmm. especially the ones that Serling wrote. And I would argue that today's audience that's grown up on the so-called MTV generation of rapid cutting and special effects and a lot of razzmatazz, would not really go for a talkative episode. Mm-hmm. So if you take the talkative episode out, the black and white out, you might get a good story and shows like Black Mirror are doing great stories, yeah. but you don't get that special quality that Rod brought to these thoughtful pieces because he wasn't just entertaining. He had all these moral lessons he wanted to get get across, and you have these extended sequences with, with great, crispy perky dialogue between characters even in even in episodes that are a little bit more you know they're more movement oriented uh you know just just the way they talk 
is just kind of special. So it's kind of cap. He kind of captured in a very brief period a, a kind of style of screenwriting or television writing that was soon to be replaced. Because you know Hollywood was heading toward um, frothy light entertainment. You know, Batman, Lost in Space, uh, the Beverly Hillbillies. You know, I'm, I, I don't know if it translated to the market in England. Yeah, because, yeah. but uh, certainly Rod, and also anthology has kind of become kind of a stepchild. Um, when Rod Serling was doing The Twilight Zone, the head of CBS Network was this guy, James Aubrey. Mm. And James Aubrey did not believe in anthology. He, be he, be he bet that the secret of television success was following the same characters each week. So he came aboard in 59, the same year the show debuted, and he immediately canceled Playhouse 90, which was a huge, huge um, success in the U.S. for dramatic entertainment. Uh, anthology entertainment was on its way out, and uh, Twilight Zone was there, Alfred Hitchcock was there, but it was on its way out. I don't think it's ever really gained favor again. I think, you know, I give the credit to the producers of Black Mirror mm -hmm. for having a successful anthology series. It's very much the exception and not the rule. Steve, it's it's been fascinating talking to you, learning about your process. I, I really can't wait to check out the new book, you know. I'll show you I'll show you all my Twilight Zone books there. I don't know whether you can see those. I see them. I yeah. see them definitely. Obviously, I've got big shoes to fill here. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm sure you will, because if, if the James Bond book is anything to go by, then, you know, I'm sure I'll love it just as much as I, I did that. So, you know, thanks so much for talking to me. I, I really wish you every success with, with the book. So thank you, man. Thank you. Be well. My thanks to Stephen J. Rubin for that great little chat. We chatted a bit more about a few other things, you know, his James Bond book that he's looking to get republished in an updated version. And he's coming to England hopefully early next year for uh, research for his Bond book. So, you know, you never know. Maybe he'll do a signing over here and we'll get to speak to him again. I really hope so. I really do. So anyway, that's enough from me. My thanks again to Stephen J. Rubin. And if you want some Twilight Zone facts every day, then go to his Facebook page... If you search Twilight Zone Encyclopedia in Facebook, then he posts Twilight Zone facts every day on the anniversary of their happening. So check that out. Thanks for listening, and I will speak to you soon. <laughs>